0: 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our sins are so great and you are so holy that no manner of repentance should lead to anything but death. We don't deserve to have you accept our repentance, but Lord, you are merciful and you are gracious and you are kind. So we thank you. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you accept repentance so God, I pray that we would listen closely today, that we would hear you speak to us in the pages of your word, and that we would become a holy people that Christ has purchased through his blood, that we could bring him glory and honor, and encourage and invite many others to join in the joy that is ours in the Lord. We ask all this in his name. Amen. Friends, welcome to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how every page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. So today we are going to begin an examination of the book of 2 Corinthians. And as we always do when we begin a new book, we want to take some time to orient ourselves and get our bearings. A couple of important dates for us as we move ahead. Uh, When we think about in the New Testament, obviously the, the seminal event, the central event that everything else radiates out from is the death and resurrection of Jesus, which occurred, roughly speaking, around AD 33. The apostle Paul became a follower of Jesus around AD 33 or 34, likely a few months or perhaps a year or two after. Paul then has what we like to call the uh, Jerusalem Council uh, about 15 years later, where Paul goes to Jerusalem uh, after going on a missionary trip and planting churches in Asia Minor. And once and for all, the apostles gather together, they search God's word, they hear from his spirit, and they say that all that is required for entrance into the kingdom of God is faith in Jesus. After the Jerusalem Council, Paul goes back out on his second missionary journey, and he spends a year and a half in Corinth, where he founds the church at Corinth. Paul then goes on a third missionary journey, where he spends a couple of years in Ephesus, and it's in Ephesus where he writes 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So let's do a little more getting our bearings here. Uh, Ask the question, who wrote it? And as always, we're going to go with what it says in the pages of the text. So Paul wrote this letter, and he wrote it to the church of Corinth. He likely wrote it around AD 55 or 56. The important date for us here is this letter, 2 Corinthians, was probably written a year after 1 Corinthians. Where was Paul when he wrote this? He's in Macedonia. And the bigger question for us today is why? Why did Paul write this letter? Three reasons that come to the foreground. First is to express Paul's joy that the church had repented. As we're going to see, things had been rocky for quite some time between Paul and the church at Corinth. And he's writing this letter to let them know how absolutely delighted he is that they have repented and they are reconciled to each other. Second reason is to encourage the church to resume their collection for the church in Jerusalem. As an expression of the unity that is theirs in Christ, Paul has encouraged the Gentile churches to take up a collection for the mostly Jewish church in Jerusalem as they were going through a famine. Third, to confront an obstinate, stubborn minority who were still opposing Paul. Now, before we jump into our first theme, I want to go over again what we've called the Corinthian correspondence. As we said in our last podcast dealing with 1 Corinthians, Paul seems to have written at least four letters to the church at Corinth. The first letter, we'll call it letter one. Letter one was a letter that appears to have been primarily about sexual immorality. And we don't have this letter, though Paul quotes from it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Letter number two is what we call 1 Corinthians. And as we said, this letter was written to, among other things, clear up the confusion from letter number one. So letter number one, unknown, likely dealing with sexual immorality. Letter number two, what we call 1 Corinthians. Letter number three is what we call the tearful letter. So after writing First Corinthians, many in the church began opposing Paul. And so Paul makes a painful in-person visit between letters two and three. And he finds out just how bad things have gotten. Paul then leaves the city. And he writes letter three, and he calls it a tearful letter because Paul has to absolutely deal harshly, severely with the sin in the church at Corinth, and it breaks Paul's heart. Paul then sends Titus to see how the church had responded to his tearful letter, and he's overjoyed to hear the report from Titus that they have repented. And so in response, Paul writes letter number four, which we call 2 Corinthians. So four letters, letter number one, dealing with sexual immorality, we don't have it. Letter number two, 1 Corinthians, we have it. Letter number three, a tearful letter to call out the Corinthians on their sin, we don't have that letter. Letter number four, 2 Corinthians, we have that letter. So let's study that letter. So our first theme is Paul really cared about reconciling his relationship with the Corinthian church. As we just went over, Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church was not trouble-free. Several letters had been exchanged, a painful visit had occurred And thankfully, by the grace of God, their relationship was restored, and so it's out of the overflow of this joy and gratitude, Paul writes 2 Corinthians. Now, as you read through 2 Corinthians, you're going to notice that the first seven chapters of the letter, to a large extent, are just retracing Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth. And reading these chapters and the depth of the affection for Paul reminds us of something really important that we can almost take for granted, and that is Paul really loved this church. Despite their grievous sins and despite their spiritual immaturity, Paul loves them. Now, if I may just pause for a moment and just point out, friends, there, there are no perfect churches, not one, because churches are people and people sin and people hurt one another. And so if we stop loving the church when they hurt us, we, we don't actually love the church. We love this made up thing in our mind that we're never going to experience here on this side of the new creation. So we can we can love imperfect churches. And I hope that we do. I, I deeply hope that you love your imperfect church. I love my imperfect church, and I'm so grateful that they love me. So Paul loves this church. And to avoid hurting them further, Paul had canceled a scheduled visit. He says in 2 Corinthians 1, 15 through 16, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. But through just some wise counsel from the Spirit, Paul realized that it would not be good for him to go back to Corinth to see them again after this painful visit. So instead of visiting them, he wrote them a letter, this third letter, this tearful letter. And this letter, while it was written to the church as a whole, was primarily aimed at the individual who was leading the opposition to Paul and his leadership over the church. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11 says, Now, if anyone has caused pain... He has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. So Paul is saying, because of Paul's secure position in Christ, when this teacher, when this leader in the church led them away from Paul, the only ones who were really hurt and really harmed was them. And he says in verse six, for such a one, the one who leads this, the punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Do you see a Paul's art here? He's begging the church at Corinth to love and forgive the very person who a few weeks or months ago was leading the opposition against Paul. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs." And I would just point this out to you, my friends. Before the church reconciled, you you can kind of think of it as there were two teams. Here's Paul by himself out on an island, maybe a few people supporting him. And here's the rest of the church at Corinth on the other side in opposition to Paul being led by this one leader. And Satan is thoroughly delighted by this. Here's the church of Jesus divided, facing each other in hostility. Perfect. Well, now, because the church realizes the mistake Everyone has come over to Paul's side, but what have they done? They have turned, they're standing with Paul, and now they're glaring angrily at the other teacher. But guess what? They're still divided. They're still glaring at someone in hostility. And Satan is thoroughly delighted by this. Ah, here we are, the church of Christ, divided, glaring at each other in hostility. And this is why Paul says in verse 11, Forgive this man so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, Satan wants to divide the church, period. However the division happens, if the church is divided, he is glad. And Paul says, we're not going to fall for that. Now, despite Paul's fears, this letter that he wrote was well received. He says, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. So Paul was glad when Titus came back. He loves Titus, but he was made even more glad by the news that Titus brought with him, which is that the church had received the letter and they had repented. And Paul says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, this tearful letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you that only for a while. Now that seems contradictory. I don't regret it, but I did regret it. Well, not to use too many parental analogies here, but I have children, young children, and I love them with all my heart and they sin. And when they sin, I discipline them because I love them. And when I discipline them and they cry, it absolutely wrecks me. So on the one level, I deeply, deeply regret disciplining my children. But on a greater level, I don't regret it in the slightest because I want my children to love the Lord. I want my children to be kind and obedient And I know that my disciplining them is a part of God's providential way of leading them into kindness and obedience and love for Jesus. And this is kind of the position Paul is in. He sees himself rightly as a spiritual father for these people. And so he grieves them. And on one level, he's not sorry at all because he wants them to repent and be made right with the Lord. But on another level, because of his deep, deep love for them, it's painful to him. Verse nine, as it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved. Like he's not happy. Like, yeah, now you know what it feels like but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly grief, grief that mourns, not that you got in trouble, not that you got caught, but grief that mourns that you would sin against one you love is a grief that leads to life. The news is so good from Titus. He says that even the individual who opposed Paul, whoever this is, even he had repented. Second Corinthians 7, 11 and 12, he says, For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. They have repented. And in their zeal for Paul, however, the church is refusing to forgive this brother. And Paul instructs the church to welcome this sinner back into fellowship. 2 Corinthians 2, 7-11, Paul says, You should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, this one who was leading the opposition to Paul, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for you are not ignorant of his designs. Friends, in a world of grudges and bitterness, a world of cancel culture, Paul would challenge us to extend the forgiveness of Christ. Friends, we are called to live in close proximity to one another. We are called to be a family. We're called to be a temple, stones resting on top of one another. We are called to be a body, different parts functioning together. And because we are sinners, it is an absolute guarantee that we are going to be sinned against by brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are going to sin against brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's show what difference the gospel makes. Let's show what difference Jesus makes by extending the forgiveness of Christ gratefully and joyfully without strings to those who sin against us. And let's show people what the gospel can do. So friends, the next time we are together, we're going to yet again talk about unity, this time displayed through a financial gift to the Jerusalem church. But until then, take up and read, my friends. God bless.